Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I'm joined by an OG of this very podcast, someone who just he's been traveling the world. He's faxed up, making the trips all around the globe, hanging out with Bobon, and somehow. Not looking short next to Bobon, which is still just one of the more absurd things I've seen on Instagram.com, where you can find Yovan Pua of The Athletic, who covers the Lakers and the NBA um, at Yovan Pua. But it's it's a wild, wild thing. And Yovan, I'm not going to lie to you. That's still something that I, I just can't wrap my head around. Uh, apparently, I'm six foot ten. I, I will take it. Uh I'm not, but I will take it. <laughs> I mean, you've seen the picture. Like, you're in it. But, like, looking back, you look at it. Do you see what we're all looking at here where it's like, um, I don't understand how this is this is possible? Because, like you said, you're not 6'10". And I know you're not 6'10". You're tall, but you're not that tall. Yeah, I think that there's a optical illusion element mm. to it where I'm a little bit closer to the camera. And I think we've seen in certain photos where the closer person looks a lot taller than they are. Uh, he's also bending his knees a little bit. I mean, I, I am pretty tall. I, I'm six five with Air Force Ones on. I'm, I'm probably am six six. Uh, so it's not. All right, that's, that's enough. Ten, I don't like this conversation ten, anymore. Ten, <laughs> it's still a ten inch difference. It didn't look like that in the photo. So, uh, yeah. but it was funny seeing people's reactions and and guessing my height. And uh, it was just uh, yeah, that, that was a cool. It, it was hilarious because I I'd been in Serbia for like two hours and mm-hmm. just walking down the street, run into Boban, and uh, oh, so that wasn't planned. That was by accident. No, yeah, yeah. We were just walking down the street, uh, and I ran into him, and and then you know we chopped it up for like ten minutes, and um, yeah. So, and my girlfriend, well, now fiance, then girlfriend, uh, just took a photo of us while we were talking. So, uh, I was like, "This is a funny photo." So let me post it. How is he? How is Bobon? Uh, he's good. He's good. He's uh, you know, he he goes back to Belgrade every summer and and spends most of the summer there, but. Uh, he, he's happy in Dallas and excited for the season. So, um, yeah, he, he, he's Boban. He, he's the happiest person, you know, you, you'll ever meet. Okay. Have you, have you run into any other NBA players? Maybe a Ben Simmons, perhaps this summer? No, no. no. Uh, but I haven't been in Philly, so I do have decent odds of running into Ben Simmons. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and he does hang out in LA a lot. Right. Um, just uh, the discourse on, on NBA Twitter today about Ben Simmons' latest is just, uh, it's a lot. Like, I'm uh, nothing's changed. So, a lot of the stuff, I'm like, nothing nothing's popping up. Um, the John Wall for Ben Simmons stuff, like, Ben trolling on Instagram, putting up John Wall stuff there is, is rather funny. But um, Daryl Morey's not doing that. It's not happening. But then, like, you, you look at the deals around the league, and I'm like, I don't even know what he can do. Because if Damian, like, the thing about NBA trades and what, is difficult i think for a lot of fans is that like the other party has to want to do something like that or player x has to want to be involved in this or player x is gonna sign off on this thing and damien lillard has given no indication that he wants out bradley beal has given no indication that he would be open to being moved for ben like none of these things are happening so when you throw out the best ben simmons trades it's like well those might not be options because they're literally not available so what is daryl morey supposed to do and if the Kings don't even want to get involved and like move Heald and Bagley and Picks and Fox for for Simmons, whatever, like 
then there's nothing you can do. Like Morrow might be in a situation now where like a lot the best assets he can get for Ben Simmons, those teams are like, I mean, we would be interested, but like our guy doesn't want to go yet. Like he's happy. So or it, maybe not even just happy, but he's he's cool staying here for a little bit longer. And then you're like, uh oh. But the the worst to me, I don't know if you feel this way, but the worst is the Timberwolf stuff. Like it, the 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 photoshops of Ben Simmons with towns russell and edwards like that's how daryl morey is not giving you ben simmons for none of those players that's not how this like no edwards is gone like edwards is immediately in that deal like you're not getting ben simmons without like that's the starting piece is is anthony edwards i uh i don't know i i just i don't know what to make of it um what do you make of all of it yovan and could you see the lakers and or uh the clippers getting involved here I can't really see either LA team mm-hmm. getting involved. I, I just don't see, you know, how financially how that works. I mean, the Lakers would probably have to trade Russell Westbrook, right? Like, I, it, they just don't have the money to to do it unless you're accepting a package of like THT, uh, Kendrick Nunn. Oh. I mean, they don't even have picks. To, like, so yeah, that, that's not happening. Yeah, or the Clippers, I guess. Like, if if they're super, you know, if the Sixers are super high on on Terrence Mann, and and you know, yeah, but like. You know, they'd probably have to flip Paul George. And I think I think there might have been a chance, you know, a year ago that could have been a possibility coming out, out of the bubble. But after the season Paul George has had, I, I don't see how he gets flipped. So I think the Ben Simmons thing is fascinating because there's so many parties involved that are polarizing on NBA Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, first and foremost, Ben Simmons, right? And, and you know, depending on who you, you know, w- w- what feeds you're following and who you're talking to, some people still view him as like a top 20, top 25 guy. Some people are like, you know, this guy isn't even a number two on a title team and, you know, is worthless. And you, you can kind of go back and forth in that. You got clutch sports involved, which is always a polarizing topic. And, and Rich Paul and the way they do business and, and the way they, you know, their stars can kind of dictate where they end up going. You have Daryl Morey <laughs> and, and you know, him being arguably the, the, the most famous uh, you know, general manager and decision maker in the NBA right now, a- at least on, on Twitter, and uh, just sort of him pulling trades out of uh, you know seemingly nowhere, and, and kind of being able to extract maximum value in, in a lot of instances. Like he's in an interesting spot. You have Doc Rivers, who <laughs> kind of incited some of this with uh, I think his post game comments after they were eliminated by the Hawks. You have Joel Embiid, you know NBA Twitter's hero, who who everybody you know seemingly loves and. Uh, and then, as you said, you got you got kind of the CAA stuff and, and uh, the, kind of the Timberwolves hanging around. And there's just so many things that uh, I think are, are interesting and, and so many interesting dynamics just with the parties involved. This isn't this really is whatever you make of it. Right. And I, I think, again, Simmons is just such a, a polarizing figure in the league with just his skill, you know, what he can do versus what he can't do, the way he carries himself. Uh, this is kind of an, another lightning rod topic of how much say should a star have when they're unhappy in a situation you know he, he signed that five-year extension he's only a year into that mm-hmm. so th- there's this is just like a uh to, to me like the the perfect storm of all of the things nba twitter gets worked up about in one story and in one you know future transaction so i'm fascinated by it and i think it's going to be really fun to see how this all uh, unfolds I think it unfolds poorly for Philly. I don't see how they get out of this unscathed. 
Like, I think they're going to be worse than they were a year ago. I think hmm. this sucks for them because they're in a weird spot where they cannot make any deal that gets back young guys. The problem with Anthony Edwards is Anthony Edwards is not going to be a prime, just number two on a title team in the next two to three years. Like, Embiid is nearing 30. Um, I've said in this podcast for a while, like, this is not something you root for. I love watching Joel Embiid play basketball, but like, the injuries are just piling up and the history is there. Um, not a good history of big men like him aging well and just continuing to be a number one option with his usage and what he's asked to do on both sides of the floor. I just, I think there's going to, we're, we're not at the precipice yet, but we're, we're inching closer and closer. Um, so you have to flip Ben Simmons for somebody like a Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal who can keep your Eastern conference title window open. But bad news, if those guys aren't available, there's nothing you can do. And then you're like settling for a bunch of picks and, I mean, I just don't think that the player's there. Um, the guy who can actually step right in and run with Joel Embiid and keep this thing afloat. So then you're just like, I, d- I don't know. Daryl Morey's in an unwinnable si- situation. And you mentioned Doc. Like, I went back and watched that quote because I think Ryan Cole from the pod uh, posted that again. But it's like, if Ben Simmons is getting all worked up about that, and then you saw that report about uh, he knew that booze were coming, like him showing up at wherever um, preseason camp's going to be. And I just... All of this screams like this man is not the mentally strongest person I've uh, like athlete I've come across in a while. And I think Andrew Sharp even threw out he's like, uh, <laughs> after doing some banking, Ben Simmons is the least cool NBA star of all time. And it's just <laughs> like stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is all like not that he didn't get it that rough. And a lot of this stuff is, I don't know, man, if you want to be a, a star in this league in a big market like this comes with the territory and you brought a lot of it on yourself, but you can, you can fight back. If you're, if you're going to be a star, you have to fight back and face adversity and face this criticism head on, but he's running from it. It feels like to me and doing the Sixers dirty in the process, I think is also fair. Like this is just a bad look. Um, but I forgot who I think it was Samus Fendiari of uh, light years pointed this out. I don't know if you saw this, yo Vaughn, but he was like, this is basic. This happens all the time in the Premier League, where like this is a common. This is commonplace. Of yeah, who cares that you're one year into your new deal? Like this, this is a, a common thing in UEFA, and this is what Adam Silver wants the NBA to be. And like he's made no bones about it of just being like the looking at the Premier League and looking at the Champions League and just being like I, I like this um, and just being into that kind of format. Um, that is where they're looking and just stars moving around a bunch and stars moving from one mega mega market to another. I don't know. I just know that two things. One, Ben Simmons is going to a place where he is not going to win as many basketball games as he was here. And two, the Philadelphia 76ers title contention window will be closed after you move him because there's no deal as of right now that they can get for him that's going to up his value and also keep their window open in the east i just i don't think it's possible unfortunately yeah i i pretty much agree with with most of what you just said i I, the one thing i'll push back on is i I do think it's rare for a coach and a superstar teammate to take shots at a star player on the team the way that they did you know and it, it wasn't I guess shot might be a little strong, but, but that's what I'm saying. It really it, wasn't that bad. Like it wasn't yeah, but, that bad. But I do think I do think asking, you know, I think in that moment, you know, I, I guess it depends how you honest you want people to be. And I think we, us in the media, do favor honesty. So I, mm-hmm. I guess from from that perspective, I enjoyed Doc's candor, 
But I, I'm, if you're looking at it from Ben Simmons' perspective and, and just from star players and, you know, these guys have massive egos. that they, they have been, um, you know, coddled to an extent. And that, that that's just part of the game. Like, you know, we, we can complain about it all we want, but that, that's just how it works. If you're a star, you, you get a certain level of, of preferential treatment and, and coddling. And uh, I think typically in that situation, a head coach would defend their point guard and, and, and be like, you know what? Um, you know, that's a ridiculous question. Of course, Ben Simmons is a championship level point guard. Like, even if you don't mean it, it, it's all about the public image. And for him to react the way he did, I mean, he might as well. He didn't say it, but he might as well have said, I don't believe Ben Simmons is a championship level point guard. And, and that was the basically the, the, the you know, reading between the lines. That was the messaging in that statement. And, and then you, you did have Joel Embiid taking some passive aggressive shots. And we know that they've had. A, a bit of a rocky relationship and, and there's been a, a little bit of a tug of war behind the scenes of who's the guy and whose team is it and, and obviously from the outside we, we all said Joel Embiid but Ben Simmons is a former number one pick and there was a time he was viewed as kind of the next coming of Braun James slash Magic and, and maybe not on that level but he was very highly you know touted coming out of high school coming out of LSU so I, I think uh I, like he, he, I mean, he clearly has a, a massive ego, right? I, I don't think I'm going out on a limb saying that he's like in the one percent of the one percent. You, you can kind of see it on his social media. So, like, I, I get why Ben would be probably more sensitive to that more than other people. But you, you've also kind of seen that, and, and him kind of, I think part of that that power dynamic behind the scenes has been him not necessarily feeling he's been treated the same way as Joel. So, I also think as an organization, you have to know how your stars are with, with certain things. And maybe one player needs a little bit uh, of more kid gloves and, and it needs to be handled a certain way in the media. And, and to me, Ben kind of fits that. So for them to kind of come out and have basically the two biggest voices publicly in your organization go against him. Uh, I understand why he would be upset with that. Uh, it just, it's also, it's just something you don't really see in, in the modern NBA. You know, I think 10, 15, 20 years ago, that stuff was more common and, and people were more honest, but the last five to ten years, it has just become, you know, publicly you prop up, you, know, you lie to the media, you you prop up your stars even if you don't believe in them. When you have chemistry issues, uh, as I'm well aware of with the Clippers a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. you, you deny, deny, deny. Yeah. And in the moment, it's all about saving face. So I think that to me is the one thing I push back on is is I get from Ben Simmons' side why he was upset. I did think that with the way the modern NBA is run media wise, they did kind of cross a line for for how stars are treated. But they weren't wrong. But you all just and, you, know, you also just got paid the max. Like this is part yeah. of the deal. Like they put you, they paid you. They're paying you as a cornerstone piece on the number one team in the East. Like I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just don't feel like they backed it up with the money. Like they're like, we invested in you, and this is what happened. Like they sh doesn't matter. They should not have lost the Hawks. Like in the second round, they just that should no. not have happened. And they were all angry. They were upset. And part of competition and this kind of series and when the expe expectations are just sky high i mean I, I just i understand why they're all so frustrated and so annoyed and f just over over it with ben and then we see more videos this offseason of him shooting threes in the gym i just yeah i mean th this is also fascinating to me because we, we just rarely see a guy hold out this way like, mm -hmm. you know we we hear okay, I'm not going to re-sign when I'm a free agent in a year or two. Or, you know, he, he's unhappy. And, and like, you, you you hear half measures, but we, we rarely see the full measure of just, I'm straight up sitting out 
Mm-hmm. And I, I know like Tristan Thompson did it a few years ago. And, and there's been like rare cases where it's more of actually like a role player kind of holding out for a contract they think they deserve. And, you know, for role players, like getting that deal is probably more important than even stars just because of, of how fleeting it can be. But I think it's it's also kind of fun to see like this has now become a game of chicken of is Ben really going to sit out all of training camp and into the start of the season if they don't move him by then? Is he willing to uh, potentially not only lose money in, in the form of, of not getting paychecks, but also getting fined on top? I mean, like, like we don't know if they're, they're going to pay him. Like, you know, they, they can choose you know both to not pay him and to also fine him, uh, which would be a double loss of money for him. So it, it's a really interesting you know situation. And if I'm Philly, I am trying to trade him as soon as possible. I, I just, I you know, I, this to me this is not salvageable. So. The best. I mean, like, but what are you getting for him? Like, Yovan, when you look at the mind. league, who are they trading him for right now? Who's actually available and who's actually on the table that can keep their timeline consistent with what Morey and Embiid want? I, I guess CJ McCollum. I don't. Th- love th- that. Th- then you're not winning the East. You're you're worse than you were a year ago. Yeah, but I, I think I, I don't think there is a like. I, I don't think honestly. I don't think you're winning the East either path because yeah. your your two options are you trade him for a worse player. Or you keep him, he's clearly unhappy, and, you know, how, how is that going to affect the locker room? How, how is, uh, again, he might not even play for them, but if it does get to the point where it's early December and he hasn't played and they haven't moved him and he just says, okay, I'll play out this season, move me in the offseason, like, you know, do you really want to bring him into that situation? Uh, I mean, m- maybe, but I still think you have the same issues as the past, you know, three or four postseasons if you're the Sixers where – his lack of shooting and and just offense, uh, you know, passiveness and indifference, that is a, a huge you know red flag and an issue in the playoffs. So I think it's they're in a tough spot. Uh, you know, I, I also think if the reporting is true that he did give them this heads up almost a month ago or, or around a month ago, uh, I think that that's partially on the Sixers too. Uh, of you know, because I think at this point, you know, Clutch has shown. What, when they when they say something, they mean it. They, they back it up more so than I, I think almost any other agency right now. So, uh, you know, it, we, we saw with AD kind of he wanted out in New Orleans. He basically stopped playing the last couple months there. Uh, and, and now the situation with Ben, like I, I just think and I'm sure the Sixers have been doing their due diligence and have been trying to trade him. So I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. But I also think it, it's kind of at the point where you, you almost have to take the best package available because I, I just don't see a, a better alternative. It sucks, um, but you know that's where we are. Um, what doesn't suck is the Bash Bros or whatever that hoodie Kawhi was wearing, um, talking about uh, Marcus Morris and was it Morris and George on the hoodie that he was wearing for the New Inglewood uh, Arena? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, he looked thrilled, having a having a good time. Steve Ballmer remains one of the weirder humans I've ever seen. Um, dancing and that whole thing was just all very strange. Um, and then it's amazing that we're still in 2021 that people are still doing the weird shovel and dirt photo op. Like, what? what why are we still doing this? What? Who's into this? Who's into this shovel to dirt photo op? Why is that such a thing? But it was that was weird. And then you saw Lawrence Frake on the end, just really uncomfortable with the whole situation. But um, what do you what do you make as a as an LA native? Yeah, and then we'll get into some Lakers. But what do you what do you make of this arena for them and Inglewood? Do you think this will change anything with the Clippers 
in the long term and their fan base? Is it going to be a huge boon to get them out of Staples? Yes, uh, I, I can say firsthand as someone who has covered the Clippers, you know, covered the Clippers for almost a decade. Uh, those twelve thirty weekend games were brutal, and it, it was always they were playing at twelve thirty. The Kings or the Lakers were playing at seven thirty, and I, I don't know the Clippers' exact record, but I know it was under five hundred on, on those weekend home games. So for them to, I mean, again, it was it was. You know, the Friday and Saturday nights were for the Lakers. So they got that, you know, date night in L.A., kind of the, the cool vibe of uh, I'm going to a basketball game. I'm going to a Laker game. Uh, the, the Clippers didn't get that. And they really got the short end of the stick in terms of scheduling. So uh, and you're even seeing it this season where, you know, look at their back to backs versus the Lakers. Look at their, you know, five and seven and, and, and three and five, like all, all those, you know, three and four, like all those things are, are, are just you know, lopsided. And, and part of that is the, the scheduling and, and the way Staples is run. And uh, it's Kings first and Lakers second, and, and then Clippers a distant third. So I think for them, once they can get their own arena, be able to control their schedule, uh, you know, that alone should help them a little bit on the court. I don't know, you know, 1%, 5%, whatever that is, but that, that should be a boost. Uh, I think giving their fans a, you know, their own arena and just their own space uh, is something that's important. We, we know about the, covering up the the Lakers banners and uh, sort of you know, even the seats in Staples Center are purple. And, and that's for both, you know, more so for the Kings, but but it also suits the Lakers as well. Uh, so I think just all those little things, uh, you know, you walk around Staples Center, you do see more purple and gold. You, you do see uh, just even on like the, you know, the, the concourse and stuff that there's Kobe and Shaq and uh, even the sparks are purple and gold, right? So it's like, it's just there's so many things in, in Staples Center that, that make it clear it is uh, the statues outside. Like it, it is such a Lakers arena that uh, for the Clippers to get their own space to, to be, you know, 30 to 45 to even an hour uh, away from downtown and, and just kind of have their, their own part of the city. Uh, I think it's huge. Now, of course, Inglewood has the history with the forum. It, it is more of a, a Lakers city just as L.A. is. But I think the long run having this nice arena you know what looks like it's probably gonna be the nicest arena in the nba uh whenever it's done that i think that's huge for the clippers and, and that's what they need that that's why you have an owner like steve Ballmer, who who is the richest owner uh in you know north america and uh they're you know north american sports and i think that that's good for them so uh it, it is to me nothing but positive and, and there's always gonna be the jokes and uh, you know it's always whenever the clippers have some type of press conference uh, it's like they're doing something cool or, or, or serious and like, you know, trying to make it this spectacle. And then it always ends up like Kawhi or somebody goes viral for <laughs> something like the, the Kawhi Paul George, uh, you know, uh, just them looking depressed <laughs> watching mm-hmm. uh, the, the live performance. But um, I mean, that, that's just part of being what I was happening in that performance. That's always going to happen. But uh, I think it's great for the, the, the fan base and it's great for the organization to get their own arena in, in three years and. Uh, really just separate from the Lakers and, and make it more, even add more to the rivalry, I think, because now you'll actually be going to two different arenas. And um, I think it'll just be a different vibe. Absolutely. What were they what were they looking at? What was that video? What was happening? Was it juggling? What was happening? Uh, it was I, I don't know that it fits in something that mm. band. I, I don't know. OK. They yeah, they were not not entertained. I would not do it. I would just be like, um. I'm a franchise cornerstone, not coming. <laughs> I'm not uh, not going to be a part of it. That's not on my itinerary. As a recluse, I would just be like, no, 
No, that sounds like an awful way to spend an afternoon. Not doing it. I can barely walk as is, limping around. Um, the Lakers, Jovan, the team that you cover that um, did a, just a really weird offseason for the Lakers. And I I talked about them a little bit on this offseason um, here on the podcast. But like before I write a lot about them this in the next couple weeks, um, what sticks out to me is just that like I am way lower on their 2021, 2022 than a lot of smart NBA people. And that concerns me because a lot of people are like, oh yeah, they should be able to bounce back a full off season that AD did not have last year. And we've talked about that on the spot, I think of just him not being able to do his normal month off after the bubble. Um, but I also just think they're still going to rest. And this is still a really old group of guys. And this is still a situation where I'm like, they were a seventh seed last year and you cannot win the West. Like there was so much talk about the, the bottom half upending the top half. And then all four top seeds in the West won their first round series. And the number two seed went um, in the West and then the bucks being the what three seed or two seed. I don't even remember now. Are they three or two this past year? Uh, the bucks were the two because they had no, home court three. over the they're, Nets, they're right? The three because or they were three. Yeah. have home court. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they were three. So two, three. Um, you're not getting through the playoffs if you're not one of the top four seeds. And I'm like, the West is stacked. And they're stacked with teams that are going to pile up regular season wins. And I just don't know how the Lakers can rest enough and also pile up enough wins to get in the top four. That is my biggest hiccup with this group is that like LeBron's going to take time off. AD is going to take time off and they're going to hope that they can just be a six or seven seed and still run the Western conference gauntlet. And I just don't think that's going to happen. So I'm like, I just don't put them in the contendership status that I do with as other people do. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Like a fair worry that I have that just hangs over my Lakers thoughts for, for next season? Uh, yes, I, I think, uh, we're in different camps in that I, I'm more of a regular season optimist. And I think my questions with this group are in the postseason. Hmm. Just flip. Uh, I think that, you know, just looking at last season, for example, um, yeah, I, I really think you could go back and, and look at the, the past two seasons and you get the vision of the roster, but I don't think, I wouldn't say either of the past two Laker teams were the optimized versions of rosters you'd want to put around Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Yet two seasons ago, one seed, uh, roll through the playoffs, win the championship. And and yes, there was the bubble and and the Clippers had their collapse and uh, no one predicted the heat to make the finals. So like there were definitely variables that went their, their favor, you know, went in their favor, but um you, you can only kind of just look at what happened and they were the one seed. They won the title uh, last season, 21 and six at the time that Anthony Davis goes down, I believe with AD and the AD and LeBron in the lineup in the regular season, uh, their win percentage would have been top two in the West. Uh, so, you know, right, right behind Utah. And you saw in that first round against Phoenix that uh, they were up two one. Uh, probably would have lost game four, even if AD doesn't go down, but AD does go down in that game four. They end up losing that, lose the series in six games. So I, I think there's like an alternate universe where they're a top three seed last season. 
they make at least the conference finals and we are having i think there is just more general optimism on the lakers but you know i think sometimes the discourse gets a little too focused on on last season and kind of the the result whereas you know if, if a lot that was because lebron and ad missed 63 games in the regular season and of course that can happen again uh you know lebron is is 37 uh you know ad is obviously you know you can pencil him in for 10 to 15 missed games at a minimum each season so that can happen again i just kind of view it as i think russ is really going to help them in the regular season I, i think that we've seen him with some bad supporting casts in okc and even in washington last year you know just find ways to get wins like he's the guy that you're it's tuesday night in detroit you don't really have the juice and russ is going you know the, the team's maybe functioning at like 70 percent energy russ is still at 95 100 percent like I, I think he and, and there will be times where i think 80 or lebron maybe gets banged up in the past they, they maybe would have tried to play through it because they know if i rest tonight we're going to lose this game and, and they will be able to rest and, and russ will get you the the 35 you know 15 and 10 and, and help you win my thing with the team is when we get to the postseason and the margin for error is slim, how does Russell Westbrook actually fit in? Because, uh, you know, when, in doing research for just Russ and his fit, I went back and watched his offensive possessions against the Lakers in that 2020 uh, series in the bubble. Mm-hmm. And the Lakers could not care less about <laughs> where Russell Westbrook was on the floor. They were guarding him with Markeith Morris, Kyle Kuzma and Anthony Davis. And, you know, technically, Russ was functioning as the the center in those lineups. Uh, they, they were using him as a screener, as, as a role guy, kind of functioning around the elbow and, and trying to have him take guys off the dribble from there. Uh, but you know, we know the the lengths that Houston went to maximize Russell Westbrook around James Harden, basically getting rid of, I mean, literally getting rid of all of their centers mm-hmm. and, and just rolling with you know, I guess PJ Tucker at the five technically, but but Russ was the offensive five, and the Lakers just didn't care. They, they happily played off of him eight to 10 feet routinely on possessions. And there were several times a game he'd blow by somebody, get a layup, draw a foul, whatever. But for the most part, they were fine. And there was also plenty of times where he would have an advantage, but he'd take a step back, take a pull up and prick that shot. And it would just be like, what, you know, what are you doing? So I think to me that there's more questions with this team in a playoff setting when you can actually game plan for them, you could ignore their shooters uh, in some cases, uh, you could ignore Russ. You, you can game plan for that. And defensively, I have a lot of questions with this group because you know that that's been their identity for the past two seasons. They've had some of the best perimeter defenders in the league. Alex Crusoe is an elite perimeter defender. KCP is a solid three and D guy. Uh, you, even Wes Matthews, Danny Green, like those guys, help defensively to lose that. And, and really, what was the core of a top three defense both seasons? This group, to me, is going to struggle to even be top 10. Like, I think if they're top 10, give Anthony Davis Defensive Player of the Year and, and mm. probably make Frank Vogel Coach of the Year because I just don't see the defensive personnel, especially on the perimeter. So um, I think I, I have more concerns with the playoffs and, and how some of the pieces fit than the regular season. I think regular season, you're going to have Russ doing his thing. You know, they, they have some shooters and scores off the bench. Like, I think the offense is going to be top five. It's just, to me, the defense is... Uh, top five in offensive rating yeah really yeah Um, oh okay but but again like so to me i'm penciling them in as a top three seed 
Uh, I mm. think it's them, Utah and Phoenix are the top three in some order. Not Denver. But no, I, I just think because of Jamal. If you told me Jamal was healthy uh, to, to start the season, then mm. De- Denver to me is in that mix and m- maybe even the favorite. But uh, we don't know when Jamal is coming back. And if it is January, February, March, uh, I do think because Denver was quietly coming back down to earth in the last few weeks of the regular season. Mm-hmm. We saw, I mean, they, they did crush Portland, which to me says more about Portland than it does about Denver. Uh, but, you know, we, we saw them go up against Phoenix and, and get swept. And yeah, uh, I mean, they, they were decimated injury wise. But I do think I don't know if they're going to have the same magic next season until Jamal comes back. So. Uh, I mean, I'd put them in that four or five mix for me, but but I, I do think to me the top three is Utah, Phoenix, and the Lakers. In that in order? Because uh, I do have, we, we're on the same page maybe. if you have Utah where I do, because I have Utah one in the West. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally, I'm out on Utah in terms of, I think, whoever they're playing in the second round, I'm probably going to pick that team over them. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to me, there's a lot of uh, Clipper energy with this group mm. where, uh, you know, just... Every postseason, there seems to be some type of collapse or, I mean, they, the, they blew the 3-1 lead in the bubble. Yeah. Uh, they blew the lead to, uh, what was it, 2-1 or, or 2-0 lead to the, the Clippers mm-hmm. and lost all four games, including two of them without Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I know Mike Conley and, and Donovan were a little banged up, but y- you got to beat that team at least force a game seven without Kawhi Leonard. And, and you well, know, when Terrence Mann decides the series is over, that series is over. You know this. <laughs> yeah so i, I mean i, I think there, and look there, there's a lot of teams like i, I think the, like the clippers I, they're a hard team to peg because to mm-hmm. me they're, they're probably a six to eight seed but if Kawhi comes back they could push for for home court mm-hmm. uh I, i'm i'm really high on golden state golden state to me i think mm-hmm. people are sleeping on that they're the wild card for me i have no idea what to, what to do with golden state no clue like like aside from to, to me if everyone's healthy my top three in the West are the the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Nuggets. I, mm. I think that I mean I think the Clippers proved it last season. You know, almost made the finals, uh, including playing without Kawhi. Uh, the Lakers, to me, I, again, I, I think it's imp- it's an imperfect fit, but I think they have three top twenty five guys. A- and then Denver, we, we've seen their magic in the playoffs, and I, I just think that Jokic Murray connection is special. Mm. Um, so that's my th- top three teams healthy in the West. I might put Golden State fourth okay at their peak uh now we don't know if they're going to hit that we don't know when clay thompson's coming back we don't know what state he's going to be in but i think the idealized version of, of golden state is really really good so um to but point, see like the, the golden loaded. state stuff though is like i just i am not convinced that they're going to do the spurs model that they're they're claiming that they're like we're going to bridge two eras and we're going to ride with wiseman and moody and um who was the other guy they just drafted it was moody and why am i blanking on uh kaminga kaminga yeah um that they're gonna try and bridge bridge the gap i don't believe that at all i think when clay comes back and if they're playing good basketball and they're flirting with that top four or five seed in the west wiseman and some of those guys are on the move and some picks are on the move because i don't think steph um and clay and draymond are gonna sign off on the spurs model of yeah we'll wait on all these young guys and y'all can just keep carrying a, a heavy burden and we're not gonna go big fish hunting especially with iggy back in the fold too i i don't know if they make a bigger bigger move because i'm still concerned about the depth i like the auto porter health andrew wiggins still being someone they they count on and then that five spot i don't i don't know we'll we'll see with golden state for me can curry do this again carry this kind of heavy burden offensively again 
Um, I don't know. I mean, he's my favorite player to watch in the NBA, but you know, we'll we'll have to see if he he's still doing this. But I don't know. I, I think it's tough. The West is just a bloodbath. The East one through twelve is pretty pretty solid. But like, the who do you even have as like the worst team in the West next year? Is it obvious to you? Because for me, I'm just like I don't know. It might be the Spurs. Uh, it's it's probably OKC for me. Okay, uh, it's OKC. Or but do you think they're going to lose enough games to be the worst? Because I just think that they're going to play too hard and Shea and Dort, and they're going to be coached up too much that they're gonna they're gonna win just enough to be like the third or fourth worst. I, I would have a tough time seeing them not be bottom three, just because I, I think it's more of a talent thing than anything. Because mm-hmm. like you just na- you might have just named the only two like NBA players on that roster. Like I and, and I know wow. shots at Poku, cheeky, but um, I mean like it like current like guys that could contribute to a contending mm-hmm. team right now it, it might literally be shea and, and lou and uh yeah houston i, I think is also in a, in a similar situation and we don't know what's going on with, with john wall and eric gordon and uh, houston's definitely going to be there yeah so i uh, i mean but then i'm i don't know i don't love minnesota uh yeah and san antonio i mean san antonio is, is finally kind of coming back down to earth in terms of overachieving their expected uh, you know, win total, uh, I think in, t- in terms of like talent versus, uh, the, their, you know, actual win total, I, I think it's, it's coming back down to earth. We, we kind of saw it last season. So, I mean, that to me is a, is a 25 win team. I actually disagree with, uh, I, I, you know, looking at the Vegas over unders, I'm, they're kind of penciling in a lot of parody and, and, uh, sort of the, the league being a little bit more balanced to me, there's still, a top six or, you know, a top six or seven, and then another kind of tier of another six or seven. Who's your six uh, or seven? Kind of seven? Who's your top tier in the West that you're talking about here? Uh, I think as currently constructed, I, I think the West could only be won by the Lakers, Suns, or Jazz. Okay. Uh, I think now, when does Jamal Murray come back? When does Kawhi Leonard come back? What state does Clay Thompson come in? I think you could add those three teams depending on the answer to all three of those questions. But I'm saying like as currently constructed with what we know, that, you know, there's a chance Jamal or Kawhi is back by January, February. There's a chance neither of them plays all season. So it's just, you know, if Denver doesn't have Jamal Murray, I think they're probably losing in the first round unless they play Portland again. Uh, it, you know, the Clippers, similar thing. I, I think they're losing probably in the first round, uh, golden state, it, it depends on the matchup, but, uh, so I, I would say those three. And, and then in the East to me, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's more Brooklyn and Milwaukee and maybe Miami. Uh, I, I don't think Philly, as we discussed at the beginning of the podcast has a real shot, you know, barring a, a miracle where they get Dame Lillard back or, or Brad Beal or, or a star, on Ben Simmons level or above it. Uh, I don't see Philly actually, you know, winning the East. So uh, it, it's probably to me, the three in the West, the other two in the East, and then maybe Miami kind of punching its way into sixth. Mm. Okay. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Um, true or false. Russell Westbrook will be a Laker this time next year. True. That there's Ooh. no alternative. <laughs> there's, there's no alternative. Uh, I think it's false. I think, I don't think this goes well come playoff time and i think it's it's over i think this is a one-year experiment that they're like oh yeah this is this is a terrible idea if it's an abject disaster 
I, I could see that. Um, I, I mean, again, I, I think you're lower on it than I am. Um, mm-hmm. To me, like the floor is, I think the floor of this is a top three seed and losing in the second round. I think the ceiling is winning a title. I, I'm, I'm, I'm currently more on the side of, I think, they lose in the finals or conference finals. Uh, I, my official prediction is Brooklyn over the Lakers in the finals. That That is mm. entering the season. That's my prediction. But um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, because I, I also think it's just like how – because, again, I, I didn't think last year's roster was perfect. Uh, and, and some of those pieces, you know, Dennis Schroeder, Montrez Harrell, um, even Marcus Gasol, uh, like – on paper kind of entering the season you were high on the fit and you're like oh this makes sense like you know that they want mark is is this kind of three and d center you know dennis will will be the change of pace point guard that that can help the non-lebron lineups and like trez is the sixth man of the year and you don't who was the biggest advocate for schroeder last year do you know who was yeah uh that i i don't know i mean I, i would assume maybe lebron just because okay. he's always talking about wanting more point guard help and I, I know he was russell westbrook's you know one of the the biggest advocates for him so okay uh, i think lebron has kind of wanted that co-ball handler that can alleviate some of that mm-hmm. burden on him uh but uh, again kind of going back to last season like it was not a perfect roster it was not a perfect fit and yet again like they were winning at a top suit uh, a top two seed level and like it's just to me it's it's kind of just as simple as you put LeBron and AD on the floor and there's going to be a lot of matchups in which they have the two best players like you know playing against Phoenix they have the two best players playing against Utah they have the two best players and that's not to say Donovan Mitchell or Devin Booker or Chris Paul or, or Rudy Gobert can't you know match Anthony Davis but entering that series you know the Lakers like but okay play Brooklyn play Milwaukee like play, play some of these other teams okay that, that's a different conversation but to me it's just like Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I'm. I'm, I'm but are you certain that you're going to get 100 percent LeBron and 100 percent AD for a full playoff run again? That, that, that's a good question, and, and that I, I can't I can't tell you. Uh, I, I do think that Anthony Davis was the most vocal about the short off season, mm-hmm. and, and it was something he complained about well into the season, and well even after his his first injury of just. How, you know, and, and I had an interview with him uh, early in the season and mm-hmm. he told me, he's like, you know, every off season, I take like three to four weeks off. I don't touch a basketball. Mm-hmm. I don't work out. I go on vacation. I spend time with my friends and family. I completely unwind and detach from basketball. Once that fourth week is up, I'm back in the gym going, you know, ramping up to 100 percent. And I have two, two and a half, three months to get myself right and get ready for training camp. The issue last season was they finished in mid-October and training camp started in the beginning of December. So mm-hmm. Anthony Davis still took that you know three weeks off and then had two and a half, three weeks to ramp up and just never got into 100% shape. Mm-hmm. And you know if you just look at his frame, he did look a little hefty, you know, hefty by AD standards. Uh, he, he did look a little bigger. He was a little slower. He didn't dunk the ball as much. I mean, you, go back and watch the the 2019 2020 highlights from anthony davis he's dunking everything he's catching multiple lobs a game he he's playing above the rim he's blocking a bunch of shots that was not the same ad we saw last season he was settling for jumpers doing a lot of pick and pop playing further from the basket and i think uh, we have i mean look everybody looks good over the offseason everybody looks good in 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 you know the, the highlight videos and the photos and stuff but anthony davis does look visibly slimmer and, and trimmer 
And uh, there's, there's been a lot of buzz that he's going to be playing the five and that he's going to start. I've heard this. I, 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 I've heard I this before. He's going <laughs> to play more five next season. That was part of the, the mm-hmm. Westbrook deal. But I've also been hearing that, that there's a, a growing case for, for him to be starting at the five. And mm. that that is a sacrifice that he is now willing to make to, to make the Westbrook partnership work. And that this kind of is a, a three-way sacrifice where it's like, AD, you're going to need to play the five more. You're going to need to slide over from the four to the five, play your natural position and, and the position of a, a modern big. You know, LeBron and, and Russ, you guys are going to need to share the ball handling. And when you don't have the ball, you need to be cutting. You need to be screening. You need to be active in, in ways that you maybe haven't in, in Russ's career maybe ever and in LeBron's career maybe you know since Miami. So I think th- it's going to require a level of sacrifice from from all three guys and Part of that for, for AD is going to be, you know, playing more at the five. So I think you get AD at the five. That is the optimized version of him. And I do think there's a chance, you know, that we, we see this works out very well. But uh, I think a lot of it's going to come down to ultimately Russell Westbrook's fit, which I'm you know a little skeptical of, obviously. And uh, and the shooting and just sort of, you know, Kent Bazemore, Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington. These guys are all coming off of career shooting seasons. Can they keep that up in L.A. where they're going to be sure to get a lot of open shots because teams are going to be playing off of the Lakers shooters and packing the paint uh, against them? So can those guys continue to make shots? Uh, That, to me, will will be a big uh, determinant in in how this team fares. So I have a question then. What what would you guess? Um, It is September 21st. Do you remember? No. Um, What would you guess the top five man unit per for plus minus three months into the season which five man unit do you think has the best net rating uh to me it's gonna be i think there's okay so the big three Mm -hmm. and then uh, to me there's three candidates for the two spots I, i guess my official prediction will be uh 80 lebron trevor Ariza, kent bazemore and russell westbrook Okay. But I also think there's a chance Kendrick Nunn is in there as, you know, kind of a, a smaller two next to Westbrook and Bazemore or Ariza is out of the lineup. Uh, but to, to me, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing for the Lakers that that to me would have completely changed how I feel about this team. And, and you know, I would have really put them potentially next to Brooklyn was the loss of Alex Crusoe. Because, again, I, I think looking at the biggest differences from the past two seasons versus this season's roster is the perimeter defense. And, you know, they lost Alex Crusoe, KCP, even Kyle Kuzma was a productive defender uh, at times over the past two seasons. Like they just don't have the same defensive weapons and they still have Anthony Davis. They still have LeBron. They still have Frank Vogel. Uh, I think the front court's fine. Like Dwight Howard is a step up over Marcus soul and Montrez Harrell. I, I don't expect much from Deandre Jordan, but maybe he'll play a little bit, but like, you know, Trevor Ariza, Kent Bazemore, they, they can help in the front court, but who's guarding Dame Lillard in a playoff series? Who's guarding James Harden and Kyrie Irving in a final series? Like, I, I don't know the answers to that because if it's Russell Westbrook, that gives me a little bit of pause based on what we've seen from him defensively throughout his career, especially in recent seasons. So uh, to me, the, like the defensive thing is, is the biggest difference, but uh, I view Kent Bazemore and Trevor Ariza as the best quote unquote three and D options. Uh, you know, Bazemore's coming off a season. He just shot 41% in Golden State. Granted, it was on 2.7 attempts a game, so not a high volume. Uh, Trevor Reza is a career 35% three point shooter. Not great, but, you know, decent enough to hit open threes 
coming off a season in which he was a, a starter in Miami playing almost 30 minutes a night. So ideally, both of those guys are kind of low 20 minute, you know, 18 to 24 minute a night guys. Uh, but I do think with the positional versatility that they have and particularly being like really the only other role players that can defend, uh, I think they're going to add some value uh, to the the lineups with the big three. So if I had to say it's probably those five, but there's a chance Kendrick Nunn is, is really good in his role as a spark plug off the bench, kind of becomes a sixth man in this group, and uh, and he's productive next to Russ. Okay. I like it. I like it. What would you say? I I don't think it's going to be You're like Kit. none of them. No, I just I don't think Kit Bazemore. Like, <laughs> I've seen a lot of Kit Bazemore in the last couple of years. I mean, he shot well last year. I just... I don't know. I, I would not rely on Kent Bazemore to fill the Danny Green role in 2022. That that really scares me. Um, I don't think it's be Kendrick Nunn either. He doesn't. I think Trevor Ariza will be one of them. I think you're right there. I think he'll be one of the four. But I can I say he's not on the roster yet? <laughs> can I say that I don't think he's there? I don't think that fifth person um, in that, that best plus minus five is on this roster right now. I like you said, the Caruso spot, the, I don't know. I, it's not Kenneth Reed. Saw he worked out for him. Uh, I don't think it's Kenneth Reed. Um, I don't think yeah. it's DeAndre Jordan. I don't think it's Rondo. Um, I don't know. Is it Isaiah Thomas? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, oh, God. I, I don't know. Like I look at this and I'm like, there's not a good answer here. I think just with AD LeBron and Westbrook alone, they'll, they'll, they'll be fine in that department. But like, I'll throw a wild card. I think it's maybe it's Wayne Ellington. I, I would trust Wayne Ellington more in this spot than Bazemore. I, I think that's that's fair. I mean, I, I've been predicting Wayne Ellington as the starting shoot uh, shooting guard from the jump. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I that think dude that, only shoots threes. Have you gone through his his scoring logs? Like there, we we laugh about Tony Snell getting his cardio in, but like Wayne Ellington, two for seven from three. He's done this <laughs> at least ninety three times in his NBA career. That man and knows what important. he is. That's important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think the the concern is that, and this is where, again, I think you really need to start 80 at the five, is that if you are starting Dwight or DeAndre as like a placeholder, I mean, one, the spacing is just god-awful with Russ, a paint-bound center, and then LeBron in AD, plus, I don't care who you're putting, I mean, unless you're putting like, Ray Allen, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Reggie Miller in that spot. And even then, like, you know, you're just probably going to put what, you know, one guy's going to guard that guy and then stick with him. And uh, it, it's like everybody else, we're just going to play off of you and, and let you shoot. Uh, so I think that the spacing is really a concern if you don't have another wing in there in, instead of Dwight or DeAndre. And that's where. Like I, I think my current prediction for the starting lineup is AD at the five, LeBron at the four, Kent Bazemore at the three, uh, Wayne Ellington at the two, and Russell Westbrook. And I think that kind of gives you some offense, defense. Uh, Kent Bazemore, I, I think my concerns, I mean, the concerns are twofold. He, he is very mistake prone, and really it's on both ends, where offensively, some of the turnovers, some of the shot selection, defensively, he, he tends to foul a lot. But I, I think, I mean, just by virtue of him probably being the best non-LeBron perimeter defender. Like, tra- I mean, Trevor Ariza to me is more of a four at this stage of his career. And he, he started yeah. at the four in Miami. Uh, according to basketball reference, he played 93% of his minutes last season at the four. So you're not starting Trevor Ariza to guard like point guards. Kent Bazemore can do that. And mm-hmm. um, 
again, you ideally want him. Malik as like Monk your... cannot do that. Just for reference, no. and and Kendrick Nunn is okay defensively, but but kind of trends. He's he's like an average to below average, but. Yeah, Malik Monk, Carmelo Anthony, like th- these guys aren't doing that. You, even Taylor Horton Tucker, I don't think is ready. And then also he, he's not a shooter, so that presents its own issues. But my official prediction is Bazemore and Ellington both starting. I think if they do start a, a, an actual center, it's Bazemore versus Ellington. And now you're just saying, do we want offense or do we want defense? Because if you go Ellington, yes, that that's good for the offense and, and it's going to need some spacing. The issue is he's not a good defender. And now you're just like, you know, Again, you're matching up with Portland. You're putting Wayne Ellington on CJ McCollum. You're putting Russell Westbrook on Dame Lillard. Like, I just don't love that. So I don't either, but you're still getting through Portland. <laughs> you get through Portland, but okay, Phoenix. Mm, yeah, Phoenix is more of an issue. Who's guarding, yes. Paul, who's guarding Devin Booker? Like, right. you're in a really tough spot. So uh, I think it's that. I mean, like, my biggest question other than Westbrook is just the perimeter defense and, and what the Lakers do to. You know, Frank Vogel is one of the best defensive coaches in the NBA. I think he's really good at maximizing his personnel, playing to their strengths, kind of figuring out what they can and can't do and, and really putting them in positions to succeed. So I, I do think we're going to see a, a vastly different uh, defensive scheme from the Lakers this season. But in the past two seasons, it was very much pressure, 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 uh, you know, trap, rotate, scramble and, and use the, the speed and quickness and, and elite one on one ability from a lot of their perimeter guys. They don't have that anymore. Uh, you know, unless Russell Westbrook goes back to 2008 Defensive Player of the Year at, at, at UCLA, Russell Westbrook, and LeBron, uh, you know, I guess has to take maybe a step back offensively and, and a step up defensively and really handle more of that burden. Like, I just don't see it. So uh, I think a lot of it's going to come down to how great is Anthony Davis at erasing some of these mistakes or, or limitations and how great is Frank Vogel at concocting a defensive scheme that can kind of maximize uh you know some of these limited strengths that they have on the perimeter absolutely yovan how do people find your work uh you can find me on all social media platforms including tiktok where mm. i'm becoming more active during this season uh at yovan buha at j-o-v-a-n-b-u-h-a uh twitter instagram tiktok all that good stuff uh check me out and then also check me out on the athletic uh we currently have a a promotion for 50 percent off an annual subscription so if you subscribe off of one of my stories uh, you get a 50 percent off and that helps me out so please do that go do that today and keep up with yovan as the Lakers season gets started he is the best in this biz yovan thank you so much for the time looking forward to talking actual basketball with you this season yet again for year 37 of you and I on this very podcast. So Yovan, continue to stay safe out there and I will talk to you soon, my friend. Sounds good, buddy. All right. The Tuesday edition of the Chase Holmes podcast rolls along where I am now joined by a first timer who covers a very good, very good AFC North team who's one and one, but one of those losses coming to maybe the best team in the AFC and the Chiefs, but they got a win this weekend against the Houston Texans, the mighty Houston Texans. People are saying the the mighty Houston Texans, just the scrappy, the scrappy underdogs. Holly Wetzel is here. Holly, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, I'm coming off a, a Browns victory, so mm-hmm. my week's starting out pretty good, I have to say. How are you? I'm good. I've spent a whole offseason defending the Browns. 
<laughs> well, that's good. We need we need as many as we can get. I mean, that that's just that's just how it is. I mean, it's just I was all in on their offseason. I was all in on this group. I shouldn't say was past tense because I still am. And they continue to play the Chiefs close, which is great. I mean, yeah, obviously your rival just played them close and actually won um, mm-hmm. on Sunday night in historic fashion. But, you know, Baker's been good. The The offensive line's been good. The defense, I have some questions about that I'll we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's start with Sunday, the first one of the season. What happened in the Houston Texans game? Um, what did you what did you see for your Browns? Yeah, you know, look, we we just real quick, we had some pretty glaring mistakes, right, off of week one versus the Chiefs. So that that's we had some pretty major turnovers that really made a, a major difference on um, you know, how the game ended up falling. But we bounced back, ten point win, right? Thirty one twenty one over the Texans. You know, it was an interesting game. Um the the first half was pretty sloppy in my opinion. Uh the Browns we turned the ball over twice. We gave up a good amount of yards to the Texans offense. Um, which included four or six third down conversions. So it was a little bit of a rough first half, um, but we ended up recouping and we seemed to figure it out on the offensive side um, with some pretty awesome touchdowns from Chubb and Hunt and Demetrik Felton. Actually, Um, he had a really cool um, touchdown. He had caught a short pass from Mayfield. He did like this really cool spin move and broke a tackle and went 30 some yards um, into the the end zone. So we, we did bounce back. Um, it was a weird game though. Like it, it's interesting being a Browns fan. And I think just overall, I think, and, and maybe you agree Chase or not. Do you feel like maybe we are as fans, obviously we all overreact for the most part in every position for every game. And I know we have small sample size, right? We're in, we just have two games, but the, the emotion and the the major reactions that come off of these games sometimes are ridiculous. I mean, I know we'll talk about the defense, but there people in Cleveland right now are calling for Joe Wood's head. I mean, it's mm. just insane. So I just, no, I think the overreactions are part of it. I think also, and this is coming from somebody who has, has the unfortunate um, task of loving the Atlanta Falcons and watching them mm-hmm. every Sunday. Um, I don't know if you knew this or not. They, they have the worst point differential in football and uh the Atlanta Falcons are off to a to a horrible 0-2 start um it's been brutal been a brutal way to spend six hours I feel your pain I feel your pain (laughs) well what would Browns fans know about pain and suffering (laughs) what would they know um but also go check out Brownstown on Blue Wire Podcast Network if you have not already great podcast about this very very topic but um no I just I think what we're learning about the preseason going from four games to three and coaches more and more not valuing the preseason and valuing the first couple of weeks of the regular season to figure stuff out is playing out in real time right now. Like the Falcons didn't play any starters all preseason. And the Chiefs did. Yeah. I mean, that that you do have to question that. And I know people are going to be up in arms, but that that might make a difference of why. I mean, up until last night, right, that um you know, uh, the Chiefs were, at least under Andy Reid, I believe, were undefeated in September. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a big thing. And I think we're going to revert back to the old way. It's like, if you, like, we have to play some. Like, these guys have to get reps yeah. in the preseason. You can't just take the preseason off and use the first couple weeks because you might be out of the out of the season. Like, if you start off 0-2, we know the, the history there. If you are not ready to go and your guys can't just flip the switch like that, then you could already be in too big of a hole to climb out of. Right. Absolutely. 
Yeah. No, it's it's definitely something that um, I, I know I get a lot of pushback on when I talk about that, but I I think that they should play more. I Look, they're going to get hurt. They're going to get hurt regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and I if they're out there at least getting a couple reps, I mean, we got to see um, the Browns, right, in Atlanta mm-hmm. um, in preseason, and Baker got out for a couple series, and and that was it, was it was good for the fans, but it was good for him. It's good to get the timing down. It's good to get the talking through, you know, all of that stuff. So I... To get rid of it completely, I just I don't agree with. I don't think it's worthless by any means. I think the dual practices, I got to see one this year, um, is definitely a really cool idea. I think that should definitely be amped up. But it's it's intense there, too. There's still arguments and fights going on. There's still, you know, a lot of um, intense energy going on with those dual practices. So I'm with you. I don't think it's going to go away. Um, plus, there's too much money to be made. I mean, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, you know that's what it's about. So... I thought it was for the love of the game. Oh, well, come on. I, that's what I, I thought. I thought it was for the love of the game. Um, I was told. I was Bless told that Kyle heart. Pitts already loves Atlanta and Julio Jones was a Falcon for life. I, I was told all of these things. Um, is Baker okay? Yeah. Okay. Man, let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. He is He is tougher than tough. I can't even, like, he basically made a comment about how they, like, popped his shoulder back in. Ugh. And he went back out. Like, that's just... If there's one thing that you should never um, question is Baker's toughness. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you can question a lot of different things, but that one thing about him, he is such that, like, like, like nose to the fire, like, down home, like, ready to go, just chip off his sleeve, like, ready. I think that's the, hopefully that's the analogy. <laughs> um, he's just ready to go. Like, he's just, he's such a badass. Um, and I, I feel like he doesn't get a lot of credit on that. And, and Quite frankly, though, at the same time, I know that fuels him. Um, he likes being the underdog. And for us last year, I think it, from last year to this year, is really that underdog mentality has definitely, um, you know, it, it's it's carried on. But there's so much more expectations for the Browns this year so uh, than there was last year, which is because... First of all, but they kept winning and it was like, oh, my God, this is this is crazy in, in a covid world. I mean, we had we didn't even have our coach for the playoffs, first game of the playoffs. I mean, it's just a lot of that, um, you know, we we just kept kind of defying all the odds every week. Mm-hmm. And so when you get into this year, um, you know, things definitely that the expectations jump up, um, you're scrutinized, you're under definitely a magnifying glass and, and Baker's fine. You know, he's. If anything, if I'm, I mean, grading him for the first two weeks of the season, I mean, he has, he leads the NFL in completion percentage to the first two weeks, 81.6%. Mm-hmm. Like, that's crazy. He has the highest rating a player has had um, in the first two games of the season. His completion number, like I said, is just off the charts. He's been incredibly accurate, and he's operating Stefanski scheme, which which is being asked of him to for each throw to throw as optimally as he possibly can. So I, he's stat wise been blowing it out of the water. Um, and I, I really think this is just the beginning for him. So he's okay. Thank God. Cause I'll tell you, my heart kind of skipped a beat there. Um, it looked bad. It, it, it did look bad. Um, and now we got uh, speaking of injuries, we got, you know, on another note, we got um, Landry out Jarvis Landry out for, for three weeks, which is, is a tough swallow, which at least, it's not anything more severe. Um, well, we'll get but, to Landry because you know, he—that's a bummer because I think he's been great as a top ten receiver in football per PFF yes. to this point. Yeah, yeah, he's been great this year. He's he's such a leader on this team too. A lot of guys look up to him, and he's, you know, our wide receiver 
position has a lot of depth. I'm happy about it. Um, you know, so we do have other guys are going to cut. They're going to come up. We have some tight ends that can catch. Two good tight ends that can catch. So there's a lot of still opportunity um, on the on the catching side of the ball. So it's 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 a hard loss about Landry, but Baker is really back to him. Is he's he's been so impressive already this year, and um, I can't wait to see what he continues to do. We'll have to see what Dennis Northcutt's up to. <laughs> come on. <laughs> tell you what spot start for Northcutt. yeah (laughs) (laughs) joshua cribs oh please i'll tell you what he's actually got quite the career going on post football here in cleveland Mm -hmm. mr josh cribs he's all over him and his wife host like a local show he's really very involved in the community Mm. oh yeah he's like all over the place so um he's he's doing pretty well look i don't want to like completely forget about the browns past i think that that's Mm -hmm. You never want to, and I would in the beginning when Stefanski got here and Baker and um, these players came and OBJ came here. It was a lot of, well, what do you think about the past? And they'd be like, I don't want to talk about the past. I want to focus on the future and what we got going on right now. And I'd be like, well, yeah, you kind of have to answer those questions. Like that's who we are. That that those are that's those are legitimate questions. And I always try to stand up for the media in general because I just mm-hmm. think they always get a bad rap. But um, but now I'm like, I don't want to hear about it anymore. <laughs> please move on like i'm fully aware that we used to just completely suck for many 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 years and i think that plays into our entire um i guess fear of and completely jumping the gun when something happens like fire joe woods it's like okay well why don't we just take a break because we have some really great weapons on defense and i think we just need to gel i think you got to get greg williams back in there oh are you being serious (laughs) I hope no, to God not. <laughs> I am not being serious, but um, we haven't he talked almost, about. He was a yeah. candidate for head coach, which is pretty pretty insane. Per, really but wasn't that per Greg Williams that he was a candidate for the head coaching job? Well, no, I think that came out. That was legit. <laughs> okay, well, I am also a candidate. Mind, he might have believed yeah. that that he really was a viable candidate at that mm. point. But um, and look, when Stefanski got signed, I wasn't like I wasn't this. I, I wasn't. He wasn't my first choice. Mm-hmm. Um. But I'll tell you what, not only do I love looking at that man, <laughs> he is smart. He's super smart. So there you go. I mean, hey, you, it, it's important. It's important to like, as, as we learn with Andy Reid, how a coach looks plays a pivotal role in whether or not you'll <laughs> win a title. Um, OBJ's impact, though. We haven't talked about him at all. We not haven't. played to this point. How has his absence affected the Browns? So the OBJ thing's an interesting one because I, I feel like we're getting mixed um, answers out of Berea, um, Ohio, wonderful Berea, Ohio, of what's going on with him. You know, there's so basically in the beginning he was like ready to go week one, right? And then there was right before the game started. You know, it was he's out, he's not playing. Then we find out. We fast forward the week. It was Wednesday, the week before. The Texans, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. It was, um, you know, he, he's not playing. He's not ready. Um, and we were like, okay, you know, that that last week he was ready to go. Now he's not. Um, and now it's then there was some back and forth about like, well, why can't he come in and get a, just a couple reps? Right. Why can't he just come in and, and do that? And they're like, well, no, no, no. If he's not ready, we're not bringing him out. And but then we had Grant Delpa come out. 
for a couple reps to get his you know feet wet and that and now the the new storyline kind of come back out as well he might come out there's he still might play now this coming Sunday we have the Bears and he might play so uh for a couple series so there's there's I don't really know what's going on it, it oh the OBJ thing has always been quite the mystery. He's not really had, you know, he's had a couple really great, amazing games and we see him out on the practicing field. We see him out there catching these crazy, you know, one-handed catches. I mean, he's just, and he is, he is an enigma. I got to see him in person. It's, it's unbelievable. Actually, my brother was at the Atlanta game um, and was texting me, was like, he just looks insane. Like I can't explain to you. I mean, so there's, we know the talent is there. That is not the question. It's just, there's something off and there's a lot of weird storylines kind of coming out of, um, of Berea. And we just, we, I don't really know what's going on. I'm, they're saying he's going to play. I, I, I trust Stefanski. I really do. I think I, I know he knows what he's doing. Um, and I, I hope to see that chemistry with him and, and Baker, you know, I think last year, um, th- that need or that, um, automatic feeling like I had to throw to him because it's him and that pressure is gone now because Baker I think is way more confident um he has a lot of different moving parts now that he can go to um to get the to move the ball forward and on top of that um you know OBJ is he had to also kind of I don't want to say fall on any sword because I think that would be a little too drastic, but I just think he had to kind of get with the game plan. It's like, you want to be a part of this, then this is what you got to do. This is who you, ha- you know, it, it, it's a team sport. You got to think that way. And so I, I think that he's definitely come a long way on that, on that side of things. Um, and I hope he plays on, on, they're saying, well, game three was, or week three was the week he was coming back. So I'm like, okay, that was the plan all along. Then let's just see it. I mean, it's, it's been a weird, weird um, uh, preseason leading up with him. Um, and then again, weird, weird storylines coming kind of coming out of Bria. So I'm hoping at this point, it's just let's move forward, especially with Landry out. We need him. We need him badly. And we're confirmed Landry's three weeks. Yeah, at least. Yeah, because okay. he's on um, the IR. So, yeah. So who are the top three receivers going into this week? Who Who gets the most reps? Well, you know, I'm, well, I would love if OBJ is playing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I really like, uh, well, Demetric Felton, I'd love to see more of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I'm, I'm now going on the rookie end, uh, staying on the rookie end, I should say Anthony Schwartz. Ooh, you know, track star he, from Auburn. Yeah, he's, um, he's pretty amazing, uh, pretty amazing to watch. So I would love to see him out there again. Um, it, it's, there's going to be, um, you know, we got a running quarterback coming up. It's going to be Justin Fields this week versus the Bears. So, um, you know, I want to, uh, which is going to be a, another problem, hopefully, for the defense to get in front of. But um, I'd like to see Anthony, more Anthony Schwartz out there, too. Um, and Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know. And God, God here I go. And, um, <laughs> you know, Hollywood Higgins. I mean, there's we have, we have Hollywood a lot Higgins. of really great weapons. Mm-hmm. So um, you just asked me to name three, and I named, what, five or six because I can't choose. So Well, that's good. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I like it. Um, and also for them, like, I don't know if you've seen the left tackle spot and how cursed it is in Chicago this season. So I don't know who's going to line up at that spot for Cleveland, but I know um, Clowney has not played well to this point. Garrett's been Garrett, but not not quite uh, his elite yeah. self, but he's been good, just not elite. And then you have Clowney, who's been bad um, through two weeks. So I, I'm curious to see 
where he he stacks up uh, against this weak Bears off the line. Because my guess is the Browns feast there a little bit. Um, on Sunday, who do you think showed out the most for you against the Texans and who struggled the most visibly? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, you know, the Nick Chubb just always shows out. I, I, he's, he's unbelievable. He ran the ball, what, only 11 times, but collected 95 yards and a score. And, um, even I, I just our run game, Kareem Hunt, right? He added 51 yards on 13 carries. Um, so our, our running game, I, I just, I go back to Chubb. He's just such a reliable, good, always go to, um, uh, player that, that that that's gonna that's every week, um, so I would definitely have to say Chubb um, had a fantastic game. Definitely rebounded from week one. I when he fumbled that ball, boy, I felt my friend and I were watching the game, and I I turned and we kind of said at the same time we're like, if that hurt that hurt nobody more than it hurt Nick Chubb. <laughs> we could feel as bad, but Nick Chubb feels the worst. Like there's no doubt about it. Um, so he's definitely my show for sure. Um, who wasn't, you know, can I just say the defense in general? Um, I, I, I just feel like there was – our timing's off still. I just feel like, you know, we got seven new seven new starters on defense. There's just still a lot to kind of gel um, and get them together. I, I'm not worried about the defense as a whole. Um, I, I think we're going to be fine. I People asking, to, or, you know, trying to get Joe Woods fired at this point is just insane. Um, but I think it's just going to take some time to build. Um, so I would say we, we just have lacked defense for sure. Um, and then I do want to say you mentioned Miles. It's interesting with him. He's still we're still kind of waiting for that major like Miles breakout moment. I mean, he was mm-hmm. like MVP last year. I mean, every game was just insane right before he got COVID. And when he got after he got COVID, he was not the same. It was a really, really tough um, recovery for him. He was having a, a, a really um, hard time breathing and and trying to get back to himself. And we kept kind of waiting for him to make these big moves at the end of the season, especially in the playoffs. And it just it didn't happen. So I'm waiting for him to kind of break out. But just the defense in general, I just think we we we're not there yet. But I do feel like we will we will get there. Okay. Um, what do you think has been a bigger position of strength the defensive line or the offensive line to this point oh the offensive line for sure Mm. we have one of the best offensive lines in the league i mean it's just any weak spots giving baker uh, give you weak spots Mm -hmm. on the offensive line (laughs) who is it it's not treader it's not um it's not wills who is it like to name names you gotta name names (laughs) you gotta you gotta do it they look if there's one thing i know um holly it's that the cleveland browns offensive line love this podcast uh joe thomas follows me on twitter and he makes sure that uh, the weekly episodes go right to the feeds of the cleveland browns offensive linemen so this is something that will get them riled up get them ready to go for the week ahead (laughs) they're gonna they're gonna be like oh holly wetzel said this about me Mm -hmm. hell 100 percent. yeah this is an opportunity to encourage to motivate <laughs> look our offense line is is definitely stacked i they're giving baker the best thing they can do is give baker time um which they have been and they're giving him a lot of time so that then that takes that pressure off of him and he can obviously be as accurate as he's possibly as he's been i, I don't have any complaints so far on the, on, on the offensive line i just don't so um the, the Get with me like mid-season and then we'll chat because things might change. But um, 
But for right now, no, I, I'm happy with everyone so far. I I want to stay healthy. I, I worry about that big time. Um, so, you know, that, that that's, that's one area that uh, is always just unpredictable. So, but I have, like, like I said, I have, I have faith in Stefanski and his scheme. He's, he's the man. So I, I'm going to plead because I, I like, I like everybody. So, okay. You like everybody. I mean, yeah, for right now I'm going okay. with yes. Okay. Yeah. I like it. You know who it couldn't be? Couldn't be me. Jalen Mayfield, Matt Hennessy, <laughs> Kale McGarry. Couldn't be me. Well. Look, I, I want to say I feel bad about it, but I don't because I know exactly and I've been there and nobody gave a shit about Browns fans. But um, it, it's look, we actually have a really good strength and, and I'm I'm sticking with it. It's it's ebbs and flows of the game every week. This is what happens. Um, now, not everyone's going to be perfect. There's going to be some issues. Penalties, sure. I'll, I'll go off penalties. Right. We've we made some really stupid penalties across the board on both sides of the ball. Um you know, so we'll see. Speaking of, did, mm. did you in the Texans game? Mm-hmm. Um, what in the world uh, was the Cully punt decision? Mm. Did you see that? I did, did not. See? Okay. So early in the second quarter, Houston was um, at third and 15 um, from its own 38 yard line. And mm. uh, Taylor found, um, Tyrod Taylor found Brandon Cooks for 13 yards. And he set up a fourth and two. Okay. Then Tack McKinley, of course, he jumped off sides. Falcons legend, Tack McKinley. Uh-huh. Meaning, so Texans had another shot, right, at picking up the first um, on a third and ten. Or they could decline the penalty and roll the dice, obviously, on the fourth and two. Mm-hmm. And Cully decided to punt on the third down. So he declined the penalty and then he punted. Did he know it was third down? Yes. <laughs> so, so they asked him at the end. They're like... He said, like, well, we felt apparently, well, here, I have his quote. He says, we felt like that at that point. We felt like we could have had a chance to be able to make, to get better field position to hold them. We didn't make it. We didn't get it. So then someone asked him, couldn't you have just gone for it on the third down again, right? And mm-hmm. then punted. And he said, well, we could have done that. And looking at it again, I'll have to look at the situation <laughs> and see what I would do next time. It's like, what the hell? I mean, it was stupid. So, you know, we, and honestly, I will say about the Texans too, um, I was, I, I'm, I was a little questioning of whether or not if Tyra Taylor had gotten hurt, had he not gotten hurt, what would have happened? I mean, he was on fire, which is scary. So, um, you know, it was, like I said, it was just an interesting game. It just, it was a weird win. I'll take it, uh, you know, and just moving on. I, I, I want the W. I'm not going to, I don't want to analyze it. It's more than, you know, normal humans do, but um, you, you want to just take the W and go. Absolutely. Um, third in offense per PFF to this point, um, they are most excellent at what, in your opinion? Say that again. So the Browns right now, they're mm-hmm. third in offense per PFF. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. What are they most excellent at? Why are they, what was the biggest reason that they are the third best offense in football right now? I mean, they're, I'm going to go back to this. I mean, they're blocking. They're giving Baker the time. I mean, I think that that's the most important thing. They're protecting him, and they're giving him the time to make an accurate throw and, and complete the pass. Um, so for me, that that's that's a really – and it's a lot. It's like a couple – it's a good couple seconds. And he, so he's getting his time, um, and that's 
what else more could you ask for? So they're doing their job um, for sure. Okay. Last thing and we'll wrap up here. Um, we haven't talked about it because I want to save the worst for last, if you will. <laughs> Jeez. The Brown secondary is not good. And um, Denzel Ward really struggling. Johnson really struggling. How concerned are you about this, this secondary? I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm not. I don't think... Look, Denzel Ward had a couple um, great plays. I think it was with the Chiefs. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, John Johnson, look, again, I think it's just going to take a little bit of time. He's he's quite the talent. And um, I, we were really excited to get him on board. So it, I, I'm not worried about the Browns secondary. I think that they're going to be just fine. Again, I think it's just more of... Um, you know, timing it. And Denzel Ward was out for a while. Oh, when was he out? Boy, last year's running into me now. Um, Cause he got hurt last year. So there's, again, I think too, going back to the, the kind of the preseason comment that we talked about, if they have a little bit more time to play and, and, and more time to gel, I think September looks a little bit different for a lot of teams. Um, but I don't think they're anywhere near worse or better than, than anyone I, I feel like people forget how close the nfl is really um with uh the talent from the top to bottom and i think this year too we're learning that you know we thought we were going to kill houston right coming in um that didn't happen uh pittsburgh went into buffalo right and uh the ravens went you know against kansas city and got the w so there's I don't think there's a, a major, major gap. So if that makes you feel better about your Atlanta Falcons, but um, I don't think there's a major gap between the top and the bottom this year so far. Um, I would disagree so. as having watched all the Atlanta Falcons this year and a lot of other <laughs> NFL games, I can tell you uh, for sure there better. is a gap. There is quite a gap. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, it, it, I, I think there's just a lot of talent that, that is still getting gelled out on a lot of different teams. And I think that the Browns are no different from that. I'm, I'm, I'm not worried. I'm a very optimistic Browns fan right now. And I appreciate you trying to, you know, give me a couple cracks in, in, in my, my glass heart here of the Browns, but it's, it's, I mean, so if I was, so if I was not a nice guy, then I would, I would mention, I would ask you this question of like, which LSU secondary guy is your favorite in this, this Browns unit? Is it Grant Delpit or is it Greedy Williams? I like I like Delpit. Boy, he had quite <laughs> mm-hmm. the hit. Um, what would you guess Greedy Williams' um, coverage grade per PFF is to this point in the season? It's got to be pretty shitty. It's thirty-one point five. Pretty shitty. Okay. Yeah. See, Greg Newsom yeah, though, he's good. Greg Newsom's gonna be a player. I like Greg Newsom too. Yeah. No. Well, like I said, we we got a lot. Our talent is rivaling one of the best. Yeah. If they didn't come from the Rams, you're fine. <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm I'm looking forward. Jeez, mm-hmm. I, I'm I got my rose colored glasses on. Right. I am I am here. I'm. It's a week by week. Well, if there's uh, one thing win. history can tell us, it's that the Browns are going to be fine. That is a sentence that <laughs> could no, never come back to haunt you. Can't get worse. <laughs> we we literally could not have gotten worse than we did. We hit rock bottom, and sometimes you do got to hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. to move forward. I think overall the Browns under Stefanski, under Andrew Barry, you know, to kind of close on it, I guess is it's a completely different culture. The guys there, they're they're there to work, they're there to do their job, they're there to show um you know that they're talking it's going to be on the field and how they play. Baker has grown up so much. I was very critical of him 
um, right at, in the 2019 season because, quite frankly, it had a terrible season. Um, and it's even hard to have a great season when you're also having a great commercial career. You can't have well, both. <laughs> well, now he is because now he's doing both and he's yeah. having a, so far. So and yeah, he was doing a lot of that stuff. And everyone's like, well, it's not that funny when you suck. So mm. um, he's definitely turned turned that over. He I saw him in person um, at training camp and he is jacked like his body is completely transformed. Mm. Um, he looks so much stronger than he ever has. Um, there's no dad bod situation <laughs> going on like there was a couple years ago with him with pictures that were came out and it just so it's um, I, I, all those guys have definitely made some major strides on a physical standpoint, of course, but also on a mental standpoint. I just if anything, weirdly enough, I think COVID really made a big difference in the sense of um, it forced these guys to kind of just completely focus on what was at hand every week, every game. Um, focus on their health, focus on, you know, the most important stuff. So weirdly enough, we, we grew and benefited off of that year um, in strange ways, not completely, but uh, there were certain really big points that we um, took. And I think it's just taking, not taking anything for granted and just being one game at a time. It's just that Stefanski's created such an awesome culture already being here. So I, I'm not worried. There are going to be mistakes. We are going to lose games. It, it's going to happen. We're going to make stupid decisions across the board. But, and I don't know, you know, this year is going to be an interesting one, but it's definitely going to be a great growing one. And I think that, yeah, we're, look, last year we proved it. And I think we're going to continue to that. We're Super Bowl contenders. We just, we are. And that's crazy to say. I can't believe I just said that out loud, but it is a real thing. So. There you go. I'm, I'm pro Brown. So they, I should mention at the end of all this, that they were my preseason Super Bowl pick in the AFC. Were they? Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, we'll welcome you. If you want to hang your hat, mm-hmm. you know, on the Browns as your second team, we are, we are, we'll take you in for sure. I don't know. I, I, d- tailgate. I mean, my football Saturdays in the, in the fall are, are pretty shitty. Like with Tennessee and Atlanta, like it's just a, it's a lot for me to, to handle the balls and the Falcons and yeah. back, back days. Um, I don't know if I'm able to do it for a full season this year. We're going to see. Um, at least Tennessee's a lot better this year, but um, I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. It's a week by week situation. I mean, the Titans are sitting there, but I don't know. I don't know if I can I can make that AFC jump. And Julio being over there now, it's pretty fresh, right. pretty fresh wound yeah. on that yeah. front. So I, I'm not Let's sure. Yes, come up and hang. We'll take. I'll take you to tailgate. You know, you'll get the whole full Monty of 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 Cleveland Browns. There you go. There you go. We'll see. You never know, Holly. You never know. know. How do the good folks keep up with your work? Well, please check out the Orange is Oranger Browns podcast on Apple Podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Holly and Liz. And I also write for Awful Announcing on all things media sports rights. So check out all three. Go do that if you have not already. Holly, thank you so much for making the time this evening. I greatly appreciate it. We will have to check back in again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Chase. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.